Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We have well passed the 225 episode mark and I just keep interviewing cool people, which is kind of fun. And one of the great things about, you know, hosting a podcast like this is every now and then you run across people who've been in your life for a long time, but, you know, maybe you just see them on Facebook or LinkedIn and you don't realize kind of the journey that they've taken and all the cool things that they've done. And I was chatting with a friend the other day who I've known really since junior high, although we went to different junior highs. I guess now they'd call it middle school. But uh, we went to different schools, but we went to the same high school and we've kind of known each other for most of our lives. And he was talking about a project that he's involved with. And I thought, you know, that's kind of cool that they're, they got a business and they're, they're involved with charity with it. And he's done a bunch of different things in his life, including having some really good corporate type jobs. And I said, would you be interested in being on the show? And he was like, yeah. And if you listen to the show regularly, you know how much I like people who their answer is yes. And so uh, my guest today is Jason Call. And Jason and I played on a little league team together when we were about, I don't know, 13 years old called Morse Company, which was some chemical company that gave a lot of money to the little league and got to have their name on our jerseys. I don't remember exactly what Morse Company did, but I think they were a, a chemical company in Southern California. Anyway, they sponsored our little league team and Jason and I were friends then, and then we ended up at the same high school. And he's one of these people who he's got a really big heart. I always remember about that when he was a kid. He's also a person who, you know, he went to UCLA. He's always had a lot of potential. He's out there doing some good stuff. So I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation. So Jason Call, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Hey, why don't you tell people a little bit about sort of what you've done in your career and, and then some of the projects you're involved with? Well, it's funny. As you talk about baseball, it reminded me of uh, the fact maybe you uh, maybe you know I am a professionally trained baseball umpire. I didn't know I, that. Yeah, I started when I was 15. I went all the way up to uh, Pac-10. When it was Pac-10, I did Pac-10 ball. And I uh, went to the pro school in Florida. And just last year, this year, uh, I told the guys I'm hanging it up after 35 seasons. Wow. So. That's, <laughs> see, that's the thing is you bring people on here, even people you've known for almost 40 years, and you still find out cool things that they do. I guess now that you say that, I think I do remember you umpiring high school ball or something like that. Oh, yeah, I did it for a long time. But uh, starting at about age 15, I always wanted to learn how to speak Spanish or other languages and get an international business. So at that age, at 15, I was telling myself, I'm going to work for a U.S. company abroad. And I ended up doing that. I majored at uh, UCLA in Spanish and linguistics. Then I went to Thunderbird for the MBA wow. international. And then I opened up Latin America and Canada for a big company that sold hearing protection products in uh, the U.S. I opened up Latin America and Canada for them, and I ran marketing as well. And that was, that was a blast. So I ended up speaking. I, I speak Spanish and French and Portuguese. Wow. Now, that's, that's, yeah. See, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a typical American. I, I speak English. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so. so you started off in international business with the MBA from Thunderbird and a degree from UCLA, and you sort of went down that path. But then, you know, you've, you've diverted a couple of times into a couple of different things. So what, where did you go from there? Yeah, I left the international scene for, uh, 
for a good while, I uh, started getting into construction products, construction uh, materials, and uh, doing distribution. I'm all about the manufacturer, distributor, end user dynamic. I open up distributors, I train their sales folks, and uh, then I also I do my best to own the end user relationship as well. So I, I do a lot of the training at the end user level, the distributor level, and I absolutely love doing that. But while I was doing that, I was in industri- I was in uh, construction products, and they were erosion control products. And an idea came to me uh, later on, right after right after that, for something called Storm Slide. And so I was the quote unquote inventor and owner of Storm Slide, which was an erosion control device. The U.S. Forest Service really loved it. And then uh, I started getting into other municipalities. And so, so what did Storm Slide do? What is, what is the product? It provided a path of least resistance to the stormwater to leave a surf a paved, not really a paved or a dirt like pathway or road. Because water, as the, as the rain comes down the side of the mountain and hits that trail that is in the side of the mountain, Engineers want to design that so it sheets off, but water doesn't act that way. Water creates little rivulets and then starts eating away the outside edge of the trail. So we used to pop these things into the side and they would, uh, they would again, provide a path of least resistance for the water and protect that whole surface from eroding. So even while you had, you know, what people would call sort of a traditional job, you always had sort of this like entrepreneurial little side thing going on. Yes, it's incurable. I've been bitten by it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do today? I know, I know that uh, today you've got you know, a, a job, but you also have a couple of entrepreneurial ventures. Tell us what you're up to today. Well, I work for Honeywell Industrial Safety. I'm in the uh, portable gas detection business. We sell portable gas detectors. Absolutely love, love what I do. It's a, it's a blast. I cover Southern California and Arizona. I would really like to get back into the international scene, I'd like to say. But uh, on the side, I also do the the dog beds, the dog beds for social justice, we call them. <laughs> so, so that's sort of how we reconnected. You sent out an email or maybe it was something on Facebook about dog beds for social justice. And that's what we started chatting about. So, so tell everybody a little bit about what dog beds for social justice is all about. Well, uh, some friends of ours taught us how to sell things on Amazon. And uh, then through Danny Johnson, we heard about this organization called King's Ransom, the King's Ransom Foundation, which does a lot of different things for the poor. But one of the things that really uh, struck a note for me was they, uh, they have a way of rescuing children from the international sex trade. And so whenever we give money to that, we earmark it for that. So we combine the two. Let's sell these dog beds because we found a way to source dog beds. And so we're going to we're selling those and then 10 percent of the profits goes to the King's Ransom Foundation. So so that's awesome that you've tied it directly to to a cause. And we can talk a little bit more about that and and some stuff that, that my family has done that listeners have heard me mention before. But let's get go back a little bit. Somebody taught you how to sell things on Amazon. I know that's actually something I have a friend here who's a stay at home dad who makes more money buying and selling products using Amazon and some other online platforms than he did when he was in corporate America. And 
for a layman to that, I'm like, well, how in the world do you do that? Let's talk a little bit about how you got into doing that. Well, we have some friends from church who taught us how to do that. They had a little class that they did. It was about a five-week course. And uh, there's a whole bunch of ways you can go about that. You could just you know, go to the 99 cent store and scan something and find out that on Amazon it's worth 15 bucks and then load up on them and then put them on Amazon and you make a nice margin that way. Then there's other people who focus more on a particular product or product line. And then they, uh, you can do it through, uh, you, can, you can ship it out yourself or you can have Amazon take care of all that. There's a few ways to do it. So the person I know, I think he actually goes around to like antique stores and he's got a really good eye for what people want in the antique world. And, you know, he picks things up at, you know, sort of local flea markets and things like that and then, and then markets them. And my thought was, how in the world does that work? I mean, you know, do you have any insight? I mean, after a five-week class? Well, you know, it, it's a learning curve. You'd be surprised. I, I've gone to uh, garage sales, which I really don't like going to yard sales, garage sales. There are some people who do like your friend does but doing it that way. But I found a couple of things. I found a collector's item version of Monopoly. It was like Wizard of Oz themed Monopoly. And just right there on the spot, I pull it up on Amazon. They're selling it for a dollar. And on Amazon, it's 30 bucks. So, you know, I'll pull that off there and then lowball it on Amazon. But there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot out there. But the other thing is, for example, when Radio Shacks were closing across the country, they had these earbuds that were 10 bucks and they were selling them for 99 cents. And I just went, oh my gosh, I'm going to grab them all up. Well, unfortunately, across the country, that's happening in every radio shack. And the very next morning, these things were going for like 25 cents. So, <laughs> so there's a learning curve. So you, are, you, you actually have a king's ransom of earbuds in your garage, is what you're saying. <laughs> now, we unloaded those things at a nice loss. <laughs> so, you know, here's a guy who has, you know, a, a full-time gig working for Honeywell, who's kind of doing things on the side, figuring out how to source things and sell things and we're actually recording this via video, although this is just an audio recording that everybody will listen and listen to. And so I get to see your face as you talk about sort of sourcing these things and selling them. And it's funny because you light up like a Christmas tree as you're talking about this. So what is it that really led you to sort of this entrepreneurial joy that you clearly have as you talk about this? Well, predates this. I think it was long ago. I think it was, as a matter of fact, even going back as far as umpiring baseball. You know, I was 15 years old. I was umpiring baseball. It's 1982, and I'm pulling down, you know, 150 bucks every two weeks. And uh, it really gave me a sense of independence. I was swimming with sharks. I was... uh, you know, you're 15, 16 years old, and you're dealing with, uh, I hate to say it, 40-year-old children. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, now that we're well over 40, it's, it's, uh, it seems like a lifetime ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so it was about that time. I think that, that uh, having been saddled with so much responsibility and uh, so much, the ability to make mistakes and um, and learn so quickly and, and having, there really is a lot on your shoulders as a 15, 16, 17 year old umpire uh, with all these adults all over the place. So yeah, that I think at that time is, is what really made me 
want to go out and do something on my own. I love being an employee. I really do. And I've been a business owner. I've been an employee. I think there's uh, greatness in both. And I, I think as an employee, because entrepreneurialism and being a business owner is really not for everyone. But as an employee, if you could be uh, you know, entrepreneurial as an employee and be that standout person who does something very different that brings great value to your employer in the business, then you're going to reap the benefits of it. So I host a group coaching program called The Cool Things Project, which kind of spun out of this podcast of cool things entrepreneurs do because some listeners contacted me and said, do you do group have a group coaching pro- program, which a lot of podcasters have? And I'm like, no, but but I can. And we have kind of a, what I call a small but mighty group of people. And once a week, we have sort of a video hangout call via Zoom.us. And we just chat. And I thought when I started it, it was going to be all sort of solopreneurs, people who were authors and consultants and speakers, people who were like me, or people who were wanting to make that transition. And what we actually have in the group is some of those people. But we also have a lot of people who have full-time, regular corporate, you know, sales or marketing type jobs. And they have a entrepreneurial spirit. They want to succeed because they're in sales. They're, they're driven by their, you know, their sales commissions and their quotas. But they want to behave like an entrepreneur. They want to do as much as they can in their job to really be that contributor as if they were sort of a solo, solo owner. And so when you bring that up, I, I was nodding because I really know that that's a, that's a thing. And when I – I mean I spent 30 years, 25 years in corporate America and I treated every job – as if I was a subcontractor. I can remember when I was the marketing director for a law firm, I can remember going to the partners on the one-year anniversary of my working for them. And I said, if I was if I was a contractor, would you renew my contract for the next year? And we yeah. talked about what I was doing right and, and what you know they thought I could do more. But I always remember one of the partners said, Tom, you would never ask a question you didn't know the answer to. You know, that clearly you know would we would renew that contract if you weren't an employee. But you know, I do think that what you bring up is is really, really fascinating. So what do you love about both your job job side and your, you know, side business side? What do you love about being so entrepreneurial? Wow. Um, I think it is uh, just the effect that you have on others as being someone who helps, um, someone who provides solutions. And there's a, there's just a lot of uh, warmth and great feelings and joy that come from being the guy who who provides the solutions and can uh, can make things happen. And I, I think my core values really are uh, integrity and truth and accomplishment and adventure. Those are kind of the four words. Whenever I do those kinds of exercises. <laughs> They, they really come up. I Just the, the sense of adventure of it really gets me, especially on the international side. But even domestically, going out there and, and meeting new people constantly and uh, bringing real value to the business owners. Because uh, I work with distribution companies, and those distribution companies' owners and their heads of sales depend on me to train their folks and keep their folks accountable and, and fire them up as well. And so being able to, to create that whole effect all from, from, from the manufacturing down to the end user across the whole chain at all levels, that, that's what thrills me. 
Well, it's interesting you bring up the word adventure because, you know, I, I turned 50 this year. And one of the things that I sort of committed to myself was I was going to make age 50 to 70 really be the most exciting time of my life, both career-wise and personally. And I was joking on an interview a, a couple of episodes back that, you know, that's actually a big thing because I think I had a pretty good life. I mean, if you look at it sort of in thirds, you know, from 15 to, to 30, you know, I had a really good time. I mean, we had, we had a really – you and I were fortunate. We went to a good high school with some really good people, and I don't think I realized it at the time, but we were really fortunate to be with the people we were with. I've gone to every reunion that we've done, and it's always struck me as just, you know, wow, I, I was really with some good people. But we had a lot of fun. And then, you know, college, I was in a fraternity, and, and I had a great time. And, you know, the early days of my wife and I getting married and sort of moving to Austin and building our life. You know, it was an adventure. And then from 30 to 50, raising children has, you know, unto itself been a crazy adventure. Uh, and then now as, you know, the kids are getting a little older and I go into this next phase, uh, this next quarter, if you will, uh, the next 20 years, I've really decided that I want that adventure in there. And, and the more I talk about it, the more other people sort of get excited going, I want adventure too. So what advice do you have for people who, who want to have that in their life, whether they have a job or they're an entrepreneur, but they want to put more adventure into what they do? Oh, just go out and do it. Just go out and do it. Don't be afraid. You know, I've uh, traveled all over the place. I, I speak all these languages. I, uh, I, there was a time where I would frustrate the people at customs because they couldn't find somewhere to stamp my passport. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've jumped out of an airplane and I've, uh, I've used to scuba dive a lot. I wish I could scuba dive more. It's just a time factor. And, uh, you know, that's another thing about adding adventure. You've got to carve out the time. It's, uh, that's, that's one of the biggest excuses that people have is there's no time. But, uh, you know, go out there and go, go, even if it's local, just go hike that trail. Go jump in that lake. Um, and and uh, even whether it's by yourself or your spouse or your kids, just uh, go out there and get crazy. <laughs> so I've, I've got a couple of more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So as always, this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. And Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Jason Call. Hey, for an executive offer to those of you who want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the deal that they have for you. So Jason, earlier you were talking about, you know, the, this idea of how to sell things on Amazon and stuff like that came from someone you knew at church. How important do you think your network and the, the people you're connected to in your life are to find and uncover opportunities? Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, as I speak about how I learned how to do uh, the Amazon thing, it might answer uh, uh, another question. I know that in your, your shows, I've heard quite a few of your podcasts, you ask, what other entrepreneurs do you see in life and you really like what they're doing? There's one, her name is Gina Alexander. And she and her husband, Richard, are friends of ours from church and talk about the importance of a network. Oh, my gosh, our church family, are, it's huge. It's international. And uh, it's the ICOC, the International Churches of Christ, my wife and I. That's where we met. But um, Gina Alexander is the one 
who you'll see you'll see her handbags on like the red carpet at the Emmys and the Grammys and stuff. She's the one who started the handbags that you can put your picture on your family or your dog or, you know, your kids, whatever picture you want on the side. And uh, they started out small. She started out at a little kiosk Mm -hmm. at uh, at the mall. And now she's a direct sales company and it's, it's gotten really big. It's got bigger and they've gone through ups and downs, but it's just been an exciting roller coaster to see. And just the, you know, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, the typical entrepreneurial uh, pathway that it's been really exciting to see her do that. And she's also doing the, um, uh, the, the philanthropic part or the giving back part of her business is something called adopt 10,000. So she's adopted a child and two children, as a matter of fact, and she's promoting that for everyone. She's really kind of like me wants to, wants to save kids in any way she can. Sure. Well, and that leads me into my question that I always ask everybody is, is what are you doing now that's new and exciting? And so I'm going to assume the answer to that is the uh, dog beds for social justice. And if the answer is something different you're doing cool and exciting, we'll get to that next. But I wanted to give you a chance to talk about sort of that company, how you decided on dog beds, and then uh, how people can find these beds if they want, you know, to be able to uh, get a new dog bed. Because I don't have a dog, but if I did, I want I would want my dog to have a kick-ass bed. <laughs> well, the dog beds we got um, just – we were looking for things to sell online and something that would be consistent, not just going to the 99 cent store and grabbing whatever, you know, catches our eye, but we wanted something consistent and people love, love their animals. The pet industry is, I don't know how many billions of dollars, like somebody said 80 billion or something like that. Um, And we know that people who love dogs tend to have big hearts and love children as well. So that's how we linked the two. So what made you decide, I mean, you know, we could sell stuff all day long. We're all entrepreneurs. I mean, that's what we were in the business to make money. What made you decide to put a piece of the profits directly to charity? Oh, we were really just inspired by Danny Johnson's organization, King's Ransom, and what that does. Um, I've always had a soft spot for the kids, especially the ones who were in prostitution and enslaved that way. And, I would really like to just go out and just beat the snot out of the customers, but not being able to do that, I'd like to fund anything that, that gets them out of that. And I, I didn't answer your other question. How do you find them? You just go to Amazon or to eBay. It's actually a lower price on eBay. Amazon's expensive to do business on, <laughs> um, but uh, you just uh, search dog beds for social justice and they'll pop right up. So, you know, it's interesting. I I speak about what I call compounded generosity. And of course, we all grew up learning about the power of compounded interest. You know, they teach us when we're young, if you just make small contributions to your 401k or your IRA, you know, over time, you know, the compounding of both the stock market and of interest rates. Of course, now there are no interest rates for all practical purposes. But when we were younger, there was interest rates. If you put money in the bank and let it build over time, there was magic in that time build, that compounded interest. And I coined this phrase compounded generosity, that if you just give little amounts like 10% of profits or 
2% of profits or you know whatever you, it works for you and your business and you do that consistently over time it's going to add up to something you know that's really amazing so my family and and I know a lot of the listeners know this we started a thing about gosh got to be 8 or 9 years ago maybe 10 years ago called the Kate Singer Endowment for Cranial Facial Surgery and Research and our youngest daughter Kate who will turn 15 very soon was born with a medical condition where the bones in her head had fused together and it wasn't diagnosed when it should have been so as she grew her head continued to get sort of deformed and we ended up getting linked up with some great doctors who really gave Kate a whole brand new chance at life but what they had to do was remove the top of her skull which was horrifyingly scary for us at the time and not something great to go through however today she's 15 her head is fine she's beautiful she's she's an actress and you know you wouldn't go what's wrong with that kid's head i mean she looks totally fine the bones grew back you could go up and smack her on the, on the top of her head you know don't do that but you could there's bone there and uh they they literally removed like half of the top of her skull and we were so grateful we wanted to do something to help others and we just started giving small percentage of my speaking fees and at the time i had a full-time job my business as a professional speaker was sort of a side business and it was enough to earn some extra money to take extra nice vacations but it wasn't how we were making our living so we gave a small percentage of every speech to the local children's hospital and then later we split that into the hospital where kate was operated on in san diego and now between the two funds, it's like seventy or $80,000 over a decade. And the thing that gets me is I'm, I'm not wealthy. I can't go write a seventy or $80,000 check to a charity. But I wrote a bunch of $50 checks, $100 checks, $250 checks over a decade. And then they invest that money and it's grown. And many of my clients and people who listen to this show have said, I want to send 100 bucks or 1000 bucks." And so it, it's taken on a life of its own and I call it compounded generosity. And I like that that's what you're doing with you know this product that you're selling is you're tying it to that. So what are your goals? I mean, do you, do you hope you reach a certain goal of, of money raised or, or what, do you, what are you looking to accomplish with this? You know, it's uh, interesting. I was challenged with that question one time and I thought, you know, think big. And I, the number $100 million popped into my head. That is a lot of dog beds. <laughs> well, $100 million uh, for rescuing children from the sex trade. Not necessarily through dog ah, beds, okay. but just uh, through the network and et cetera. We give to, uh, to the King's Ransom Foundation. We also give to Hope Worldwide. Um, which is uh, an organization also does many things for the poor. They own a hospital in, uh, in Cambodia. And then we also give to the local women's homeless shelter. And then uh, we also give to Frontiers, which is an organization, uh, like a missionary organization in Muslim countries. And uh, so, you know, we kind of give here and there. Our focus on the dog beds is for uh, King's Ransom. But yeah, giving all over the place and a big goal, $100 million. No, I think think that's awesome. And you know, it's not every day that I get to interview somebody I've known since I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old. And (laughs) and, and as I'm sitting here as we're talking, you know, I'm remembering just what a nice guy you always were. And so it's not surprising to me. That you know these 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 uh, these things run deep in people. People who have a really big heart and and just want to see other people do well and solve the problems of the world. I think you can identify that in people. You know when they're young because you definitely were a guy who really cared about the people around you. So what's I next? appreciate that. So what's next for Jason Call? Where do you go? Where do you go from here? What does you know? What does fifty to seventy look like for you? 
Wow, 50 to 70. Um, you know, I really uh, want to do more training and sales. I really enjoy that so much. I like doing it for smaller groups. I've done it for groups of like 150 people. But if I can, if there's an organization out there with a small sales team, especially if they're young, I'd like to take my years of, I've been in sales since what, uh, 1996, I think. Uh, yeah, I think 96. No, I'm sorry, 86. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been in sales for so long and I've just learned so much. I've treated it as a profession and, uh, you know, with continuing education credits sort of thing. I've built this up and I'd love to, to, uh, take some of those small young sales teams and see what we can do with them. That's, that's part of my not only giving back, but also uh, entrepreneurial spirit and uh, just a sense of wanting to see people uh, accomplish something. And uh, then I'd like to do that internationally. I, it's been too long since I was in the international thing and I haven't been using my languages. So if there's a company that wants to expand internationally and, help people learn how to sell their product in those other countries, I'm ready to go. Gosh, if only you had gone to high school with a guy who makes a living speaking and training and knew something about that industry. Gosh, you could probably pick his brain and learn a lot about how that industry works. <laughs> yeah, small I think, groups. I think, we'll, I think we'll have to have this conversation offline so I can tell him, because uh, you know, just what we need is more people doing speaking and training, because there's only you know everyone and their brother, but... Uh, Obviously, Jason would be very, very good at that. So, And uh, actually, to be honest with you, there is actually a big market for people who can speak and train uh, in a variety of subjects in Spanish because there is not uh, – uh, there's, there's a lot of people who, who need that around the world. And so the fact that you speak Spanish, there's probably actually an entrepreneurial market for you that you may not even be aware of. I'd like to uncover that. I'm in, I'm in exploration mode right now. I love what I'm doing, but I am in exploration mode. Awesome. awesome. So if people want to find you, where do they find Jason Call? Uh, well, they can uh, email me at JAS, the first three letters of my first name, JAS, and then my last name, Call, C-A-L-L, Call, at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, Jason, thank you so much for agreeing to jump on the show here. This I don't know exactly when it's going to air, but it's going to be right at the first of the year. And I think this is a great call, a great uh, episode for people as we launch the year, because just, you know, the things you're doing both career wise, entrepreneurially, and then with your giving back, I think it's a great inspiration to everybody. So thanks for jumping on and being a guest. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. And for all of you who listened, it's fun for me to bring to you one of my oldest friends here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Keep tuning in. We have episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, although once in a while I miss one, but I think in two and a half years I've missed like four. So every Tuesday and Thursday, we're here with a new interview with somebody just as cool as Jason. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.